You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Okay, parents, buckle up because today we're going to talk about how to love a teen. And sometimes, Tracy, teens are... (laughs) Teens are unlovable. We love our teens, but they can be exhausting. Yeah, teens can drive parents crazy. You know, they come home from high school, they walk in the door, and you're all of a sudden, your stress level, moms, your stress level goes way up. And sometimes they're exhausting. But I mean, the truth is, look, here's what you need to know, parents. The truth is that love is the environment in which your teens will do what you want them to do. How about that? (laughs) How about that for a motivator? Like if you're trying to help your teen to really, if you want your teen to listen to you and gain from your great wisdom, moms and dads, if if you're tired of telling them to do things, asking them to do things and they won't do, if there's this constant struggle in your home and you're wondering why it is, now it could be that your your teens are just crazy and it's all their fault, but (laughs) probably part of the problem is you need to work on creating the environment in which your kids will actually pay attention to you. Does that is that too cynical to say it like that, Tracy? No, it's not too cynical. I do think parents sometimes when we talk to parents, I know times how I felt that your teenagers are the ones in control and they rule the home. And I just think that's a mistake. As parents, we still have a job to do, even though our teenagers are not as compliant. Maybe they question us. You know, we're not as smart in their eyes as 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 we were when they were in elementary school. But we still have a job to do, and we need to finish strong. So, yes, I do agree that the environment that we create, the way we respond to our teenagers, like we're the parents, we're the adults. So we can't let our teenagers... A, dictate the environment, but B, dictate how we react to things. Because sometimes parents and our reaction to our exasperation with our teenagers is we act almost as immature or even more mature sometimes than our teenagers. And that's, that's not good. Okay. So what do you say, Tracy, we get to some tips. We've got eight tips for parents. And, you know, as always, moms, dads, if you're listening to this on a date night driving to driving to your favorite steakhouse or salad place, depending on who won, who got (laughs) to win, you know, where we're going for dinner tonight, you know, hit pause anytime you need to, to talk about this, to have a conversation about this and, and be honest about, you know, which of these things you're good at, which of these things, maybe you need to work, work a little bit more on the, our first tip, Tracy, is to communicate openly. In other words, to let your teenagers express their thoughts and feelings. But some people are going to say, but that's the problem in the first place. I don't, I'm sick of them expressing their thoughts and feelings <laughs> there. That's all they ever do. And I want it. I want them to listen to my thoughts and feelings. I don't know. What would you say to that as a mom who, who survived the teenage years of a boy and a girl? Well, I think the difference is the, even the environment and when, in which that's taking place, that it's not counting, communicating openly when they come home and they're whining or complaining about things that happened at school, or you're asking them to do chores and they don't want to do it. That communicating openly is like you invite opportunities. Like maybe you take your teenager out to their favorite restaurant or you go on a walk or you sit on the porch or whatever, and you 
have a purposeful conversation where you do invite your teenager, like, tell me about how things are going at school or how's it going with your friends? Um, you know, you were at someone's house over the weekend. How did it go? How did you feel? Kind of inviting those conversations and creating a safe place for your teenager to express themselves. So it's not happening in those heightened emotional states where your teenagers mad or upset about something, and then you don't want to listen to them. Okay. So, but what, what about the parent who says, this is exactly what I try to do. I want, I want my teenager to express their thoughts and feelings, but they don't, they clam up. I know they talk to their friends, but they don't talk to me. Am I doing something wrong? Am I, you know, how do, how do I get my kid to open up a little bit more? Cause that's exactly what I want. Well, one of the things that I had to do, because if my two kids, one was more talkative and open and the other one was not. And so what I had to do is create a different environment for our daughter was the one that wasn't quite as communicative. She was really kind of shut down a lot. It was hard to get on the same page with her. I just started creating like she liked to cook. I've talked about this in some of our other um, topics before. And in doing something with her that she enjoyed where her maybe her walls were down a little bit, then I could ask some questions. And then we were just having a conversation because it wasn't like she was under the spotlight, which some sometimes I think teenagers feel like if we come at them too hard and too directly, they might feel like we're scrutinizing them. So if you don't really have that dynamic in place, that might be a good suggestion is to, you know, play a video game, go shoot hoops, cook with your teenager, whatever, do an activity that they enjoy, and then try to create some space for conversation. And then as you kind of develop that, then you might be able to say, Hey, you know, I want us to have an open conversation. I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm not a safe person for you to talk to. Are there some things that I could do differently, something I could do more of or less of that would make you feel like I'm a safe person for us to have conversations? Well, yeah, because part of the problem maybe for some of the parents listening is they're saying, I already blew it. I, I think I I think I already I'm already an unsafe person for my daughter to talk to. So how do I like build that trust again? How do I get that back? In fact, for some parents listening right now, if you're if your kids aren't quite teens, good on you for listening to this before they hit those teen years because a lot of a lot of the environment of love that you're trying to create for the teens, you actually, you began to create when they were kids, right? So parents of kids pay attention because this is a good tip to know, hey, try to try to do all of these things early so that by the time they hit the teen years, you've, you've got some trust Mm -hmm. in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. And your kids will maybe communicate openly and they will open up to you. But so Tracy, what do you say again to parents who who have blown it before and they've already, they've already burned, they feel like they've burned the bridge. Yeah. To me, one of the best things that we've done with our kids and a great way to just establish trust is to be able to acknowledge that. Say, you know what? I know I've messed up. I've overreacted. When you've tried to share things with me, I flew off the handle or I went into like, um, you know, I was asking you a million questions and then you shut down. Like, I don't, I don't think it's out of bounds to say to our teenagers, you know what? I, I want to be better because I know how I would feel if, when my mom or my dad came at me like that, I didn't want to talk to them either. So I'm so sorry. I really want to earn your trust in that particular area. Um, and also I think for your to be able to say to your teenager, like, Hey, I want to hear your heart, but when you're yelling or you're over emotional, like let's take a breath, you know, so it can go both ways. But I, I think as parents, it is not a bad thing to say, 
I haven't done this as well as I should have. And I, I really want to work on that and get better at it. Yeah. And parents who I, I know the question that you're dying to ask is, well, what if I, what if I can't listen without judgment? What if what they're saying is wrong and needs correction and needs a parent? Well, we'll get to that at the end. So mm-hmm. keep listening because I think that really is, I mean, Christian parenting is about speaking truth and love. And some parents are better at truth and some parents are better at love. But really, we're trying to find the perfect balance of speaking truth and love. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Well, it's the same thing, too, even in marriage. Like, listening doesn't mean you agree. Listening to your teenager, even though what they're saying, you're freaking out on the inside. Trust me, we had some of those moments, too. But letting them have the space to express themselves is important because they need you. They need us as parents to help them process through things. And, you know, like you said, speak biblical truth into that. But if we're, if we're too busy just going into lecture mode and they're shutting down, then we don't even really know exactly what's on their heart. So listening gives them the space to express themselves. You'll get to the things that you might need to correct, but that's not in the listening phase. Okay, so here's the second tip. We'll get to that other stuff in a sec, Trace. But the second tip is kind of goes along with communicating openly, and it's to be empathetic. And empathy means you're trying to understand their perspective, even when you don't always agree with it. Um, it. It means that you're really trying to understand where they're coming from, their emotions, their experiences. And Again, Tracy, for some parents, this takes a lot of EQ, emotional intelligence, and a lot of parents, moms and dads, maybe just don't naturally have that. So for some people, it's almost like you kind of have to maybe manufacture some empathy. But this is, I think in a lot of homes, this is why kids don't really open up to mom and dad because mom and dad don't naturally have a lot of this, or maybe they never saw this with their parents. And so we're passing this on down the line. Yeah, empathy is really trying to put yourself in the shoes of your teenager. And I I don't know a parent out there that doesn't, you may not relate exactly to the situation, but you certainly can remember, uh, you can conjure up feelings from from old of feeling left out in junior high or something really mean someone said to you. So there's definitely things that you can relate to with your teenager, even though it looks differently in in this day and age than maybe it did when, when you were growing up. But being able to just say, I just want to understand your perspective, like if they express feeling left out at lunch or something, you know, to just be like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. That must have felt you you must have felt lonely in that moment. I I remember feeling that way, too. You know, just kind of coming alongside and showing that you're trying to understand them. Our teenagers, they need that from their parents because they're they're wrestling with their own things. And then they've got peers and people coming at them in all different ways if you want to have a trusting relationship with your teenager and open communication, then they need to feel like you want to understand them, even though they know probably some of the things they share you don't agree with and aren't happy about. But in order to build that trust and open communication, you really have to be empathetic. Let's give an example for Christian parents on one of the tough things to be empathetic about. So let's say your kid comes to you and admits that they we're looking at some pornography on their phone, or let's say they got caught doing it and you're trying to help them process, process this and talk about this, but they, it's hard for you not to be judgmental because it's wrong. It's objectively wrong. They know it, you know it, you're all on the same page that that's not God honoring your Christians. They're Christians. You are how, how can, 
How can a parent, Tracy, in a case like this, how can you be empathetic even when it comes to like a sin issue or a habit that that your kids want to break, but they, they haven't been able to break so far? Well, I mean, I think you can you can look at the emotion or the shame or the guilt or whatever you're seeing on your teenager's face as they tell you like, hey, I was looking at some things again, or like you said, maybe, maybe in your home, you have access to the phones and you've seen some things that they were um, searching. Um, you certainly can relate to what that feels like when you feel ashamed or embarrassed or whatever, and just to be able to come to your teenager and be like, listen, I mean, I've had my own struggles in my own life of different things. It may not be about pornography, but you know, bad habits that I've had in my life. And I, I know what that's like to struggle and I want to help you with that. And I want to encourage you in this and, um, help me understand why that's attractive to you or interesting to you or how, what was the first time that, you know, asking questions, like what was the first time that you thought to do that? Why did you think to do that? Um, how did that make you feel? You know, again, just trying to come to an understanding instead of just going right to that's wrong. You can't do that. Cause as a parent, I know for us, like you're thinking, oh my gosh, like, you know, pornography addiction is a rampant thing and it really, it destroys, lives and marriages and all sorts of stuff. But as a parent, like we gotta, we gotta just meet our teenager where they are. We don't need to go from zero to 10 right away, but try and understand like, why has that become a struggle for them? How did it start? How often? Why? All of those kinds of questions. Yeah, this is a good, ver- a good scripture verse for parents to maybe memorize and, and try to embody as a parent. Romans 2, 4, it says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so I think to me, that's kind of empathy, not that, not that God can empathize because he's not, he doesn't sin. He doesn't understand sin. He doesn't know sin. He's never sinned, but he's still, I think God is gracious. I think in a lot of Christian homes in particular, again, this is a, this is that balance of truth and love because you want to be truthful. You don't want to condone sin. You don't want to just say it's no big deal, but, but if you want your kids to open up to you about some of their struggles, it's helpful for you to be empathetic and try to reflect the kindness of God to your kids, to your teens, especially so that you can, you can walk with them to victory in that particular area. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just every parent can relate to sin struggle and choices and decisions that you made that you regret. And so this is an opportunity. This is a teaching opportunity when our teenagers are sharing some things, especially things like that or struggles that they have to, to not just be judgmental and angry and mean and give a punishment and, and just seem harsh, but rather help, help them explore how that began, why it began, um, what, what it's going to take to overcome something like that and, and be willing to walk with them in that. Okay, here's our third tip. And again, this is going to take a little bit of work to talk through, but it's to respect their autonomy. Now, the reality is they don't have perfect autonomy yet, Right, Tracy, because they're teenagers, they're still in your house. They have to respect your rules, but you have to find that, you have to like learn to find that balance as they get older in the teenage years. Because remember, the fundamental law of parenting is you want to get them to a point where they're taking ownership for their own lives. In other words, they're autonomous. So, how do you respect their autonomy in the meantime when they're not fully there yet? You know, they're still in your home under your roof. Well, this is what's hard because I think our our natural inclination as parents is to stay focused on what it was like when they were in the middle years of elementary where we set the rules, they obey the rules, and 
there's no debate. And now all of a sudden we have these teenagers that are naturally starting to develop their own identity and are, are figuring out who they are and how that works with peers and different things. And so as parents, we have to adjust a little bit and not, not micromanage our teenager on everything, like give them some freedom to make some choices. Um, you know, certainly when they're 13, that might be, well, let's talk about your bedtime. Do you want it to be 10 or 10, 15? You know, like you don't, it's not that you say to the 13 year old, choose whenever you want to go to bed and okay, you, you stayed up all night playing video games. Well, that's, that's on you. I mean, you know, there's, there's a balance to it, but it's creating opportunities to give your teenager a chance to say, how about this? And then say as parents, you know what, let's give that a shot. Let's see how we do. Let's see how that does for you. And kind of give them more and more ownership over different things. And of course, as they get older, those, the rope can be let out more as they're earning your trust in different ways. Yeah. And in the show notes, we'll put a, we'll put a link to the related topic called the fundamental law of parenting. If you want to learn more about that, it's, it's obviously it's fundamental, we think, to teach them to take ownership. But I think going hand in hand with that is to set clear boundaries, like you were saying, Tracy. So you still, as a parent, you still have to establish boundaries, rules, expectations. Again, they're changing as they get older. But I think what's unfair to kids is if you discipline them, but they didn't know what the rules were or the rules were changing. So I think it's so valuable to be clear about the rules and then give them structure and security within the structure. And then sometimes then you'll have to discipline within the context of that. Right. Like social media is a good example or phone use is an example that, you know, to talk to your teenager and be like, what do, what do you think are the right boundaries of how much time you should be on your phone, where your phone should be at night you know, how, what social media do you have? Who has, you know, what parents have access to see that and kind of walk with your teenager to give them to say like, okay, that's fine. You want to have Instagram or you want to get a Snapchat, but here, here are the boundaries or the rules that need to be followed. And if we find that you're not following that or abusing that or fighting us when it's time to put the phone, you know, on the charger in the kitchen or wherever in the common area of the home, and they fight you on that, then that's where one of some of those boundaries would be like, this is a rule that we talked about. You broke the rule. So the consequence is, you know, you lose your phone. But what you're doing is in those things, you're teaching your teenager instead of just controlling every single thing and saying, nope, you can't ever have a phone. Nope. You can never have social media. You're teaching and training them to learn those limits for themselves and the why behind some of the boundaries that you draw um, so that when they turn 18 and are leaving your home and going off to college, they're not like all of a sudden the world is their oyster and they've learned nothing about boundaries or, or the dangers that lie there. You've been teaching them along the way so they're ready for that responsibility. And are you saying that we should, you know, for parents, maybe this is, this is a new idea for them, is that we're saying let them be involved in setting these boundaries, let them be a part of the conversation, especially for the older teenagers? I think so for sure. And you can even use, you know, some of their friends, like there might, I'm sure there'll be examples for our kids. There were plenty of examples of, of other kids in their lives that didn't have maybe some boundaries and got themselves in some trouble. So we were able to kind of use that as a teaching moment. But yeah, I think inviting your teenager more and more, and the older they get, the more you do it, where you're inviting them to be a part of that conversation. Because again, as we've been talking about today, you're 
lines of communication are open, you're hearing your teenager, you're listening to them, you're, you're negotiating in some things, you're compromising in some ways. And in others, you're like, you know what, listen, I know as your parent, you may not agree with this rule, but we feel like it's important for your safety. And so once you leave our house, you could make a different decision, but it just kind of creates more camaraderie and teamwork, which goes a long way in building trust with our teenagers. So we're not just at odds with them all the time. So let's get specific with some of the boundaries we helped our kids set. I mean, one thing I think probably parents would say is, did you set a curfew for your kids? How would, how would you answer that when our kids were in high school? Well, we just talked about it. What, what do you want to be doing past 11 or 12 at night? What are, what, I mean, what, what are, are the options? What are your friends wanting to do? Are those productive things to be doing? What are the dangers to some of that. And then we just kind of negotiated with them. And thankfully, neither of our kids were, that wasn't really a major battle for us. But we didn't say hard and fast, when you're 17, you have to be home at 10 p.m. And there were sometimes like a school dance or something that we moved and said, like, that's okay if you come home at two, because they had earned our trust. We knew where they were. And they had, you know, established with us that they, they were making good choices at that point. Yeah, I think some of their kid, some of their friends were surprised that we didn't. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Do you have a curfew?" They're like, "I don't, I don't know. No, I don't think so." And they were like, "What? You don't have a curfew?" And I think the reason is because, and if any kid teens are listening, this is a good thing to talk about with your parents is because our kids earn trust, and we told them that early on is, "Hey, if you earn trust, the sooner you can earn trust and show that you can take ownership of your life and have a t- autonomy and not misuse it." then the, the fewer boundaries we'll give you because we trust that you're going to give your own, yourself your own boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I think inviting your teenagers into that teaching, talking, training, those are all, that's all part of that fundamental law of parenting that you're, you're mentoring your teenagers to understand that once they're out of your home and out from underneath your care, that they've developed some safeguards for themselves. They've established some boundaries that they understand and have adopted and have owned, right? We've talked in another uh, podcast about the renter versus the owner of your values, that you want to teach your teenager to be like, no, I, I agree with that. My parents have taught me this and I, through conversation, through experience, I agree with that and I own that conviction also. It's not just something I'm doing until mom and dad aren't looking. Okay. And if you want to learn more about that boundaries concept, we have a whole series on it. We'll put a link to that series in the show notes below. Tracy, the next one I think is important and probably parents wouldn't expect this to be on the list, but it's to be a role model. And remember, we're talking about love. We're talking about creating an environment of love. And so what that means is not just toward your teens, but just in general, like, are you are you modeling the love of God in your home toward people? You're watching the news. Are you modeling the love of God toward the people on the news that you're hearing about? You know, maybe somewhat of a different political perspective or, or you know, lives in a different part of the country. Do you show, do you model love? Is it truly an environment in your home where there's love, where there's real, like the love of God reflected to people all around? I think that's important for for teens. I think too many teens, especially growing up in Christian homes, like they have this judgmental, this Christian judgmentalism. And again, I'm not saying that there isn't a time to judge. I'm not saying there isn't a time to speak the truth. We'll keep talking about this. But I do think in general, it's helpful, parents, if you are showing your kids that you're loving in general toward the world, toward people who aren't believers, et cetera, 
And then I think your kids have a better chance at really like following the God who is love. Yeah, this is a big one because I think a lot of parents miss this, that we don't always practice what we preach or we just we just say and have strong opinions about things and it doesn't come across very kind or loving. And that's just another thing that our teens might just be like, Ugh, forget it, you're too close-minded. I don't even, you know, so I'm not even going to share anything about my life because look at how you're responding to the stranger on that news story or whatever. So yeah, I just, I mean, in every way, it's how we treat our parents, how we talk about friends, you know, are we gossipy? Are we critical? I mean, all of those things our teenagers are watching and they're smart enough to know when we're hypocritical, when we're stepping out of line. So yeah, I do think being a role model, paying attention to your words and your actions, how you treat the stranger in the grocery store, uh, to your elderly parent or grandparent, your teenagers are watching and, and we need to practice what we preach. Yeah. Maybe even a good conversation to have with your kids. If you're will, if you're brave enough to have it is to say, Hey, would you say that, w- that we are loving parents or not even loving parents? Would you say that we're loving people? Because I, I think our kids, our Christian kids need to understand what it means to be loving. Again, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything or with everyone or with all the nonsense that we see in the media today. We're not talking about that. We're saying that even when you think about someone who doesn't know the gospel or doesn't live according to biblical standards, right? And there's plenty of those people in the world. And I'm sure parents, your teenagers have friends like this, or they're going to be working with people like this in their career as they grow older, as our daughter is, Tracy. Like our, our goal was to help our daughter take ownership of, of our values, just like we do. Like we, we hope that we'd be able to pass our values on to her. But man, it's hard to pass on cr- traditional Christian values to, ki- to kids these days because they're getting inundated by this other message that love means everyone can just be whatever they want and do whatever they want. That's not a biblical concept. And so, so modeling, man, walking that balance where you're modeling just a real, a real loving heart toward people, toward the world, even though you actually believe in the Bible and the mm-hmm. standards in the Bible, right? That's a tricky balance. And, and that's one of our hearts with this podcast is to help parents to strike that balance for themselves and then in their home so that their kids could do the same thing. Well, and I, I mean, I know that there's even been some examples of disappointments or hurts that we've had in our life and the way we respond to that, even our teenagers are watching, how we respond to toxic people or to disappointments or to being wronged in some way that we still have to be God honoring in our response to that and even honoring towards a person that maybe has hurt us. And and again, I mean, isn't that a conversation we have with our kids all the time? Like, so, you know, Johnny stole your toy. It doesn't give you the right to steal his or to hit him, right? It's the golden rule. We're all so great about teaching that to our kids, but okay. When our teenagers are watching us, do we, do we embody that? Okay. The sixth tip is, this will be a little easier, is to encourage their interests. Okay. So this was a good one, Trace, because, you know, our son, AJ, he loved basketball. And I, at, at a certain point, I realized one of the best ways for me to connect with him when he was in high school was just to go shoot hoops with him or shag the balls for him and help him practice his free throws or whatever, like figure out what they're into and, and encourage it, get into it with them, whatever. 
Yeah, I this is a great trust building exercise is to, you know, again, as you in communication are showing that your teenager is their own person, you want to know them, you want to understand them. This is a great way to earn some points with your teenager that you're willing to invest time and energy and even finances in things that they care about. You know, both of our kids kind of were drawn more to sports. We sacrificed quite a bit um, to have our kids do those things. And we were at every game and made sure they were at practice and they had the right shoes or, you know, whatever, that those were things that we were able to demonstrate to our kids. Like, we love you. We want to invest in you. We care about you. Um, and so for some of your kids, it might be, maybe it's going to be in the school play for others. It might be dance or an instrument, you know, whatever it is that you would say, you know what, you seem like you really have a talent or an ear for music. Like, would you be interested in piano lessons or voice lessons or whatever? And, and kind of embrace the things that they're kind of drawn to and find ways to encourage that, to show them like, Hey, I I'll, I'll walk with you in that. I want to see you, you know, expand your horizons. And if this is of interest to you, let's, let's talk about it. How can we make that happen? Okay. The last two tips, Tracy, are kind of where the rubber meets the road. So I want to spend some time on these two so that again, any parents who are listening and really want to be biblical parents, I mean, there's one way to talk about these last two things to the secular world, but we're going to talk to Christian parents about these last two things. And the, the the first one, our seventh tip is to offer guidance, not lectures. I think we talk about this in a couple of other places in our podcast. I'll put links to them below if you missed those. But so I think Christian parents lecture more than any other parent because you feel like you have to. It's like you got to preach the sermon. The problem is if they're not interested in listening to the sermon, then it's mm -hmm. you're wasting your time. Well, again, if you're always talking, you're not listening. And that's something that your teenager needs from you because they are seeing themselves with as a, their own person, with their own thoughts and feelings. So if you're just kind of talking down to them and you're lecturing them and you're not listening, that's, that's just going to make them withdraw from you more. So the better thing to do is ask questions, you know, say, Hey, do you, do you want my advice on that? That situation sounds stressful or hard. Do you, do you mind if I offer an opinion on that? you know, kind of don't make assumptions that they even want to hear your opinion every single time, but offer the guidance, like go to the Bible and say, you know what, here's a verse that was helpful to me in a situation that I was in like yours. What, what do you think this Bible verse is saying? How could that be applied to your situation? So you're kind of guiding them again, you're leading them rather than just telling them this is what you're going to do. And this is why. Yeah. I kind of got in trouble with AJ, our son on this, because toward the end of his high school years, I think he got frustrated with me not sharing too much, not giving him the answers he was looking for, because I felt like he needed to discover them himself. And mm -hmm. um, I think he called me like Yoda dad or say, like, dad, I don't need Yoda right now. Like, I mm -hmm. really want an answer here. And so it is a little bit of a balance. I think it's different with different kids. But, I, you know, for me, I'm, I am a preacher. So I do actually get to lecture to my kids on Sunday mornings, <laughs> you know, all through high school, they had to sit there and listen to dad's lectures, but most of our listeners don't get that. They don't get to do that. So I think for some people, they're like, but I really need, I've got so much to tell them before they leave the home. But again, you, if it's, if the format of that is just like cramming truth, your truth down their throat like read the room and see if they're really even paying attention. But I think the 
the mistake would be to just not give any guidance at all. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying you do still need to give your kids guidance, but when they're teenagers, it's not going to be the same as when they were kids. Absolutely. Our teens absolutely need our guidance, but the measure should be not how much you say, right? But, But the way in which you do it. Because the goal is for your teenager to listen to you, to trust you, to for them to trust that your heart is for them, that you're not just like, you know, don't embarrass me, fall in line so I don't look bad as a parent. Like really coming to them and saying, I wanna, I wanna help mentor you along. I you need us. You we've lived life longer. We have more life lessons, more wisdom. Let us help you, but do it in a manner that is not in condescension and lecturing them. Yeah, maybe a good a good question, moms and dads. If you're listening to this together, if you want to get into a good fight, you can you can answer this question: Which one of us gives more lectures? Mm-hmm. Which one of us is better at giving guidance instead of lectures? And and then I mean honestly, like have the conversation and and say, hey, help me, help me with this, help me. You know, let's have a signal for when I'm lecturing because depending on your kids, your kids might just roll their eyes or they might just sit there quietly, but they're not really listening. It all depends on the temperament of the kid. And so sometimes mom and dad, you need to help each other out, you know, behind closed doors, you can be like, Hey, maybe, maybe that was a little too luxury. You know? Yeah. Well, there were times like we would kind of tap each other's arm or something. If we were sitting next to each other, like, you know, hold on, like slow down. Maybe, maybe sometimes silence is okay. Cause it gives your teenager maybe some space to, to think and ponder, but that's why questions are important because that's inviting them into the conversation. Then you're going to know, are they listening? Because if you ask a question, they're like, what? I don't even know what we were talking about. Like, have a conversation. I mean, do any of us like to just be talked at all the time? No. I mean, we tune out. So use questions. Be more of a guiding guiding the conversation, but listening to them rather than just lecturing and saying everything that you want to say. And let me say to the dads out there, because sometimes I think this this tends to be a dynamic in the home where the where the mom is more intentional with the kids. And so, you, you know, maybe you have that conversation. You say, well, the mom's one of lectures, but maybe it's because dad needs to get more involved. Like, is it in The Incredibles, isn't it, where she says, like, Bob, I need you to engage? Yeah. I think yeah. I rem- it was a long time ago, but that was a funny line <laughs> yeah. to me. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. Like, mom's, mom's engaged in parenting. She's all in. Again, this isn't across the board, but a lot of times this is the dynamic. And so maybe, dad, you need to help mom out, or maybe it's the other way around. And if you can be more engaged to offer guidance, maybe then your spouse won't have to be doing the lectures all the time. So work together on that Mm -hmm. for the benefit of your kids. All right, Tracy, the last one is this. And this one's going to take a little bit of explaining, because I I think people could misunderstand this if we're not careful, especially Mm -hmm. in today's day and age. And it's to show unconditional love, to show unconditional love. And that's kind of a tricky thing, right? But here's what we're talking about is letting your teenagers know that you love them even when you disagree with their choices. Again, you can disagree with them, just like with anyone in the world at work, you could disagree with someone and still love them. Same thing with your kids. You could disagree with their choices, but you can still let them know that you love them. So when, when, even when discipline is required, and discipline for a teenager looks different than for a kid, but sometimes discipline is still required, you should still do it in love. So Tracy, talk a little bit about unconditional love. Again, when it's related to a teenager, maybe for some parents, they're having a hard time really understanding that. Well, I mean, 
listen, your teenager, whether you agree with everything they're doing or saying or not, they're still a precious creation of, of the Lord and, of course, your child. And so being able to distinguish the difference between having love and care and concern and being the protector of your teenager can be different than, than the specific issue that maybe you're confronting. And this is hard, I know, for a lot of parents. And I, I know culturally speaking, I think there's a lot of parents that are just like, okay, well, the most loving thing I can do is just let my teenager say and do whatever they want. But that's not loving. That's not how God loves us. God gave us boundaries. God gave us a design of the way things work. So as parents, love isn't just do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. But it is a manner of saying, I love you. I want to understand you. I want to walk alongside you. But there, are, there may be some things where we just aren't going to allow certain things or you know, maybe we need to get counseling for different things. I don't know. But there needs to be space to be able to show love and care. But we need to talk about X, Y, or Z. Yeah, maybe we should address that parent who's listening who is their kid has just gone off the deep end. And we sadly, we know a lot of kids who do this, who rebel against mom and dad. Mom and dad are trying to be Christian parents. They're trying to, you know, do Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. You're trying to train up your kid. You've done everything you can to train up your kid, but it seems like your kids, your kid is just determined to rebel and isn't listening I mean, what, what would you say? That's a hard situation, but we know a lot of parents are in that situation. What would you say to that parent who's listening, who's saying, hey, look, I thought I was going to get something new today, but I genuinely tried all these things. Not perfectly. Nobody can. What would you say to that parent? Well, I mean, I think for people that I'm thinking of, I've, I think asking for advice, seeking counsel from people is always important. Praying. You know, I, I think for a lot of our teenagers, depending on the issue, um, they need to know that that home is a safe place despite whatever's happening and that they can walk in the door. And even though you might be disappointed and, and heartbroken that you can give them a hug and just say, you know, we love you and we're praying for you. I mean, if they're not receptive to what you have to say right now, but to just to still be a safe place for them to come to know that mom and dad love me. They may not agree with me, but they love me. And I I don't say that from a place of, I know that that's hard. I know we know a lot of people and a lot of situations that's hard, but as parents, those are our kiddos. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.